This is episode number 143, Understanding and Expressing Emotions with Joshua Banks. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohit, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to invite all of our listeners to our upcoming weekly call called Courageous Conversations. This is a weekly call that we started eight to nine weeks ago, where we meet as a community and discuss topics that are most relevant in our lives. If you would like to know more information on when those calls take place and how you can join any of them, go ahead and leave us a message through our website to which we'll respond with all the details for ways that you can be involved with our community. Now, let's get back to our guest. We are not always aware of the effects that our emotions can have. While we may prefer to be in an environment, internal or external, that we can control, we never know the impact that we may end up having on ourselves or others. In this episode, Josh discusses why some people, especially men, struggle to express their emotions, how repressing emotions can influence who we are, and how experiences shape how we express these emotions. Since we're constantly changing, we must be aware of the change our emotions go through and how to handle them in order to not get caught up in a moment. Without further ado, please welcome Josh Banks. Josh, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Hey, you and I connected. Man, it's been a while. Four four years ago? Three years ago. Yeah, yeah. And I remember that, I actually remember our first connection at Friends of Peter. Mm -hmm. And then you and I stayed in touch since, and then we started to share more about our stories. And one thing led to another. And then I think we connected over the adoption piece, or that was like the first big connection that we had. And then ever since, um, we've done the different things, the podcast, had you as a speaker and I know then you introduced me to kind of other aspects of your life, like the author and the different things that you've done as far as the organization that you had. But it's been fascinating to me, I think, to see your growth um, for, I mean, I can still recall that image of you like three years ago and in the image of myself too and how, how different we were at that phase and where we are today very different. So it's amazing, amazing to see that. And I'm glad that you and I are able to reconnect on the show once again, from I think it was maybe episode four or episode five (laughs) of when when all this was being released. And the reason why I wanted to connect with you today is I wanted to talk to you about this concept and this topic of emotions. And in particular, as it relates to males, and females in a way, because I think I've, I've seen it from both sides as far as it having it be um, a challenge to express emotions and to really live in that state of 
of mind. And the way that I wanted to start this conversation due to your experience is why do you think, let's start with males. Why do you think males struggle with expressing emotions to begin with? Short answer is because men have this obsession with looking strong. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you look at the history of what's um, what's been considered to be masculine, masculinity historically has been defined by um, strength and a you know, courage in the midst of fear and, and our ability to, to conquer and overcome. And it's, it's a real dramatized hunter gatherer mentality where our job is to go out and, and just, uh, you know, hunt, hunt and gather. Mm-hmm. And in a world where things are so black and white, where it's about kill the opponent and win, there's not a lot of time for your emotions to get involved. Um, you know, we'll give the example about, you know, if you have a puppy and the puppy gets, you know, sick and you can't take care of the puppy, like the logical conclusion is to go ahead and put the dog down, you know, put it out of its misery. Mm-hmm. And if you have no emotional connection to the dog, it's really easy to do. But if that's your favorite puppy that snuggles with you every morning and and plays with you and wags its tail at you and does does the things that develop this emotional connection with you, then all of a sudden it's 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 not just about logic anymore. And so I think that for men, because we're pushed in the direction of being logical creatures, um, many times we see emotion as a distraction uh, from from doing what it is that we need to do that makes us men. Mm. It's interesting that you point that out because, I mean, I can definitely name multiple times throughout my life where I felt that crying was a weakness Mm -hmm. and where I was told that crying was a weakness. Mm -hmm. But in reality, what I've learned over time was that crying, just like many other things in life, can serve a huge benefit to you yep. can help you clear can help you kind of release all the emotions especially all the blocked emotions mm-hmm. that you didn't even recognize at that particular time that are there and and i remember when i first understood that and one of the things i actually started to do is i would almost like force myself to cry every couple of weeks or so listen to a song look at a picture think of a memory just in knowing that if I do this and if I put myself through that process, I may allow more space for growth, new opportunities, and new understanding. So I, I find it interesting how you brought up that point. And I, I still think even at this point, what I've learned is that we, many of us struggle with that, sure. even the concept of crying. Anytime. So like you said, it's a, well, I mean, <laughs> let's go here. You, you you have tear ducts for a reason. Mm-hmm. Like you are biologically designed to cry. So anytime you violate or resist 
natural process, the result of that is some type of a toxicity. Mm -hmm. So anytime you resist the natural process of flow or transition or movement, anytime you try to restrain that and hold it back, you become toxic. I mean, imagine if you didn't go to the bathroom for six months, like your body is designed to do certain things that if you hold that back, what should be flowing just right out of you ends up affecting and infecting the things that are inside of you mm. and emotions are the exact same way where things that we're designed to process and allow it to come in us it does what it does to us and then it flows out of us if you don't let it flow out of you it begins to impact other parts of your of who you are and so you'll find yourself being more irritable or you'll find yourself being more emotional, or you'll find yourself having some unhealthy coping mechanisms where you're eating too much or drinking too much, or you're, you know, spending too much money or whatever. A lot of these toxic behaviors come from our inability sometimes or our unwillingness to process emotions. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when you go to, to, to see a psychiatrist or a shrink, a lot of times what, what they're helping you do is just walking you through a step-by-step -step process to just filter through your own stuff. They're not like giving you a magical pill. <laughs> they're like literally telling you, you know, okay, so this is how you ride a bike. Okay, look at the bike your hands on the handlebar okay stick your leg over and sit on top of the thing okay how does that feel does it feel good to be on that well yeah well i was scared to be on it before okay well why were you scared to get on it before oh because you fell off the bike once before okay well cool well, how does it feel to sit on the bike now are you gonna fall no i'm not like it's just step-by-step -step stuff to get your brain to start functioning the way it's supposed to and then obviously if it's not functioning the way it's supposed to there are things you can do there are you know medications and supplements you can take but the idea is how can i walk you through a process to do the thing that you're supposed to be able to do mm -hmm. that for whatever reason be it your background be it the way you was raised be it the, the experiences that you've gone through uh, for whatever reason you're not processing things the way you're supposed to but i get it though like our failure to process emotions many times is a survival mechanism. It's a survival mm -hmm. technique. If you grow up in a household where, 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 where crying is, is viewed as weakness and it's an abusive household where the weak get preyed upon, the last thing you're going to be doing is crying in front of anybody. It's a survival mechanism. It's a survival technique. And it's a very good survival technique for a period of time. Mm -hmm. The problem is that once that season passes, we're so accustomed to functioning a certain way that we don't adjust our actions or adjust what we're doing with the new season. We operate in the new season the way we operated in the old season. And that's where a lot of destructive behavior and a lot of destructive destructive stuff comes from you know again because if it's winter time it's appropriate to wear a winter jacket mm -hmm. if it's summertime you're gonna have a hard time running around in a winter jacket 
and so in terms of processing emotions, I think that's a lot of what happens is that people are just trying to operate in the new season the way they operated in an old in an old season. It's just not working out. So you're dealing with all kinds of, you know, you're dealing with the results of, of, of that. Mm-hmm. And so much of what you just mentioned, I mean, those are just probably one of the more common coping mechanisms that we go through. You have stress, you eat more. Yep. You know, you, you, or, or you smoke yep. or you drink, you do all these other things. And the, the thing that I've noticed about, I guess, life in general is the difficulty of changing your habits and adjusting to the new environment. It's almost one of those things where I've been curious about as far as each is change a part of us as far as the physical makeup of a human, or is that something that we've cultivated over the years and had to learn? Because if it was a part of us, then I feel like we wouldn't shy away from it as much as we do. Not all, but some. So I think evolution is very natural to us mm-hmm. um, because we're constantly changing and being changed all the time, whether we're conscious of it or we're not conscious of it. Mm-hmm. Sit down in front of a TV and you watch a news story and the news story impacts you in a certain kind of way in that moment you've been changed because mm-hmm. you wake up i mean you get up from that thing and now all of a sudden you're mad when you weren't mad before or you're excited when you weren't excited before like or whatever the new thing is <clears throat> in that moment you will change um so change i think is very natural to us the issue isn't so much the change thing as much as it is the comfort thing mm. um, because we like we like being comfortable and we like operating in a world where we can feel like we're in control and the obsession with control in my opinion is the biggest hindrance to change um, because anytime it's like I remember as a little kid, we used to play this game where you walk around the house with your eyes closed. <laughs> how many times you're going to walk? Sounds dangerous. <laughs> it's dangerous to a kid that hasn't been in my house before. But if I've lived in my house for so many years, I can mm-hmm. almost walk around with my eyes closed because I've got an idea of where everything is. And so it's easy to do it. And there isn't this fear of being harmed by anything because I know where this corner is and I know where that wall is and so I know where all the things are and so it's a very safe environment for me to walk around in even if my eyes are closed so even if I don't feel <clears throat> at my best in this environment I'm at least safe well what happens if you and I switch houses and now we're walking around in each other's houses with our eyes closed that sucks because I don't know anything that's going on and I don't feel safe, and I'm not in control of anything. And I think that's the change part. People would rather live in a house that's dysfunctional with their eyes closed so they can at least navigate the dysfunction rather than switch and take the risk of going to something completely new and different because you can't control anything in that environment. You don't know anything about that environment. And so every wall or every curve could be something that smacks you in the face. 
And it may be a much bigger house. Let's say I gave you a huge 5,000 square foot house. It's the house of your dreams, but you don't want it because you're so used to walking in this little 1,500 square foot house that you've memorized the floor plan. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the, 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 the problem we have with change is that we've got these memorized floor plans in our brain about what our life is supposed to, what our life does look like. And at least I can, at least I've got this part figured out. Mm-hmm. And to add on to that, as far as what you said about the, the floor plan part is I think the, the thought that this is what our life is supposed to be and this is how it should be based on previous generations and all of the other thoughts and wisdom that has been passed down to us. I mean, when we talk about the emotions, how you and I started this conversation, I think one of the reasons why there is a a struggle or battle, whichever way you want to look at it, is because of all of the things that have been passed down for so many years. Don't talk about this. Or if you have a problem in the house, whatever happens in the household stays in the household type of thing. And I know you and I were talking prior to the recording of writing our books and the challenges, or at least the challenge that I was facing, you know, as far as actually putting that information out there and, and having people within your family see those things. Mm-hmm. And depending on the state of being and the emotional well-being that they're at, they may receive that from a completely different lens. And yet your intention was different. Yeah. And the, the interesting part within that is that there is or there was no right or wrong to begin with. There was just a perspective shared and how you react to it is completely up to you. We, uh, yeah, I've been doing a lot of study on um, ego. And, you know, long story short is, we are convinced that who we are in a moment is who we are. And it's so not true, you know? And it's funny because if, let's say, you know, you get drunk and mad and you act out and you do something, like you break something, mm-hmm. you know, the next day you come back, you like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I don't know what I was doing and that's not me. And I just want you to know that I'm better than that and blah, 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 which that's fine. But in that moment, like we're convinced that that's who we are. And it's easy to see when somebody's drunk or something like that. But take it when somebody's not drunk per se off of alcohol and they're just Mm -hmm. being that person that they are. And so now you want to write a story about this five years later. And so you're going to characterize the person the way you understood them. And it's like such a like, eye-opening thing because they see themselves one way mm-hmm. they don't see themselves from your perspective they see themselves one way and so then when you paint that picture and show you know i mean gosh you know go look in the mirror i guarantee you when you look in the mirror you look different than what you think you look like <laughs> just, <laughs> you just do. like there's something you like yeah i know this but you know there's something a little bit different and you know there's the idea that you know we get so caught up in this ego where, you know, all right, I've got this part of me figured out. So this is what I look like. Um, but there's, but you're so much more than that. And sometimes you're just in the transitional period. Sometimes you're just going through a stage. So it's, it's, it's all, <clears throat> I, I think the conclusion of the matter for me is I can't get caught up. I can't get too heavily hung up 
on who I am at, at any given time or at any given stage. Because I'm not going to be that person tomorrow. Uh, and so I can take the best from that and build on it. I can take the worst from that and learn from it. But I can't ever get to the point where I'm so dogmatic about, oh, that's who Josh is. That's mm-hmm. who Josh is right then at that moment for that for that particular purpose. Mm-hmm. Sure, I have maybe morals or sure I have characteristics that kind of define what I try to adhere to. Um, but man, it's like, again, it's that, that, that fight against change that people have. You know, if you, if you took your whole mindset and quit fighting change so much and just embraced, it's like water, it's like a water flow. If you're just a, just a part of the water just flowing down the stream, then just mm-hmm. that's what you're doing, just flowing down the stream. And if, and if one obstacle comes, what does the water do? It just readjusts its, its current and it just moves around as opposed to, oh, I've got to go through it. Sometimes it does if the current's strong enough, but for the most part, water just flows with things. And I think that our lives would be a whole lot more peaceful if we just kind of flowed with things too. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing that you bring up, which is interesting to explore, is this concept of ultimatums or black mm-hmm. and white right mm-hmm. even in answering the question of who are you there's the expectant i guess you could say expectation that you must you have to give it in concrete terms right you, and and when you don't when you say i remember for a couple of the interviews that i've done i would answer with i'm an idea mm-hmm. or i'm a doorway to someone else's life or perspective to see through my lens or to see differently whatever it may be And people would have so many more questions based on that response because it wasn't easily understood, nor was it a common response. Mm -hmm. And I I think that's the thing when it comes to, and maybe that's just how our mind operates as far as the ultimatums is that maybe there's discomfort that comes from the uncertainty or the unknown. Like we want to know, we want to know the answer. And if we don't find the answer, it's like it it becomes challenging to accept the fact that, hey, you may never know the answer. Same thing to your life. I mean, think about it. Like you and I are pursuing these paths through which we can create these spaces for other people to relate and ask themselves questions, better understand themselves and, and apply whatever they can to the rest of the world. But at the same time, we may never know that the answer to what was my impact. You don't, you'll never know the answer to that because number one, you don't know who you're impacting. Mm-hmm. You know, it might be the waiter at the restaurant. Whenever we're allowed to go back to restaurants, it might be, you know, <laughs> you don't know who you're impacting at any given time. You don't know, who picked up your book and read it? You don't know who was sitting in the audience and heard you speak. Like there's so much stuff that you don't know. It's the arrogance that we walk around with. It's like, oh yeah, I know what my purpose is. Oh, I know what I'm called to do in this world. No, you really don't. What you know is the things that you enjoy doing, the things that make you feel the most comfortable, the things Mm. that make you feel the most fulfilled. Mm -hmm. Those are things you can identify. But what impact is that going to have in the world? You will never know. Mm -hmm. Because you don't know who's going to get touched by it or who's not going to get touched by it. 
you don't know who it's going to turn on, who it's going to turn off. Sometimes, like I talk about some of the people in my life where they thought they were doing one thing that was in their mind, like a positive thing, mm-hmm. became like this evil thing in my mind where I'm like, oh my God, I hated everything that person did. <laughs> I'm going to develop my life to do the complete opposite of everything that they were doing. And so some people might respond to you that way. Mm-hmm. And here you are thinking, oh, look, I'm going to do this great thing for the world, not realizing that the great thing you did was just piss somebody off enough <laughs> to do the complete and total opposite of everything you were trying to do, and they create a different world. Like, you don't know what your impact is. And so I just think we, at some point, need to get over the arrogance of thinking that we have so much control uh, or the, uh, the obsession but having to have so much control to I know my purpose. I know who I am. I know that. Okay. Embrace the, you know, for me, it's like, you know, I know, I know what I know right now. I know what I know right now. Uh, I'm learning how to be comfortable with that, but I know that what I know is going to change and I'm going to have to be comfortable with that. Do you struggle with answering the question? And I know I get this question quite a bit, as, as well as many other people who work in, I guess you could say, nonprofit type world, and that so much of it's revolved around who are you impacting? How many people are you impacting? I struggle with answering that because <clears throat> for the same exact things that you just pointed out, I mean, the number, it's like there's no way of knowing that. Even if you do put it on your wall and you say, I want to impact a million people, what are you going to do? Put another sheet next to it and then start counting down the people that you've impacted? Right. Because a lot of the impact that happens, like you said, people may never tell you how you impacted them. Not because they don't want to tell you, but they maybe because they have no idea how to express the impact that you actually had in their lives because it hasn't come yet. It's like the same thing when I re- reflect back on my life and I look back at my sixth grade and my ninth grade teacher. This was at least 10 to 14 years ago. Mm-hmm. And now I finally get it. Like I get the impact they had on me mm-hmm. in the moment. I didn't see it five years down the road. I didn't see it 10 years down the road. I didn't see it, it took 12 to 14 years to see that. So I'm curious to know from your perspective, considering that you work in a similar space, how do you approach an answer to that question? Whenever you get asked, what's the impact? Who are you impacting? You know, give me that exact mm-hmm. customer persona or that person. That, that you're changing their lives for? Yeah, I mean, you got to know how to answer questions because of funding purposes. Right. Um, so there is a, there is a, somebody asked me for statistics mm-hmm. uh, for the purposes of funding type things. Then sure, I'm, I'm going to give numbers, um, but there's what's called quantitative and qualitative or qualitative data. And quantitative is quantity. Give me numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but qualitative is what's the quality of your work? And that's the thing that's really hard to measure mm-hmm. because those are stories. I can tell you that I impacted a thousand guys in my group. Mm-hmm. But that, that doesn't really say anything to you. I can tell you that I impacted Oleg and Oleg when he first came to our group was operating at a ninth grade reading level but because he got connected with the program, he was able to get himself into GED courses. Now he has his GED and he's operating at a 12th grade reading level and he has a job where he didn't have a job before. And now that he has his job, has a job, his family is finally able to move out of, you know, low income housing, finally has mm-hmm. a 
first apartment under their own. Like that's the stuff. And so I think you have to know enough about how to operate to be functional, but you also need to know how to tell the stories because it's the stories that really matter. Sure, the numbers matter, um, but it's really the stories that matter because for every number, every number is a representation of a story. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes behind the offices, uh, they that want to see numbers, it kind of gets they get distant from from the fact that these numbers are stories. But like with the organizations I work for, they're always wanting to know the story. They're always saying, "Hey, send us send us stories that you have of dads that, that, that have had some success because of your program." And so we do a good job of documenting. We put out we actually produced a documentary last year um which is just names and faces and stories and so i think you need to just be able to operate on uh, in both arenas uh because there's a place for both of them but you don't get so caught up in the the quantitative part where you're Mm -hmm. just thinking numbers that you that you neglect the qualitative part because really it's the qualitative part that's why you do what you do correct Ah, well that's why i do what i do there are Mm -hmm. others that are really obsessed with the numbers and that's fine Mm -hmm. people that are obsessed with numbers always get grants which is fine. Like that's how you get the money. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you can tell the story, that's how you. That's that's. You're always wondering. You're always asking yourself, like, is is what is what we do worth? It? Is it valuable mm-hmm. to anybody other than me? Uh, and the stories is where you get that from. Mm-hmm. Sure, the numbers help, but okay, we had a thousand people come in. How many of them did we really help? Mm-hmm. stories come back and they like validate no you helped this one right here and they say that you know like educational impact influences like three or four generations in a family and so hmm. whenever you can get one person you know through studies that you've impacted four generations in that family just for the one thing that you were able to do so that that's cool Mm-hmm. Josh, what's the best way that people can connect with you and get more information about your book and anything else that you might have, you might have coming up in your work? www.joshuabcbanks.com www.joshuabcbanks.com That's the best way to know you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing once again, thank you for connecting. And I'm sure that this will be version 1.0 of probably version 10.0 by the time <laughs> that we get through it. And I, I just think there's so much to explore within every conversation that we have. And I don't know where it comes from. I don't know how it comes. One of the assumptions that I could make is because we approach it from, with an open mind when it comes to the topic and then yep. you just let it flow. And that's, I think the, the thing with structure is it's not so much about having it be around one particular theme and right. then you kind of drill as, as much as you can and try and open doors in places where there may not be any doors to open right. when it comes to that topic. So I just love, I love the, the flow as you yeah, mentioned, the river, flow. the river just flows and we yeah, just, just flow, man. Mm-hmm. That's how so, work. so I'll make sure that people can get in touch with you through the website and 
all the social media and stuff like that. Cool. Where people can learn more about your work. Love it, man. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Google, or Facebook so more people can hear these inspiring stories. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next week.